Hello and welcome to The Spirit of the Law, a podcast about imbibables and barristers of the stock and solicitors of the law and legacy. My name is Matt Naylor, I'm your host today, and I am joined today by our panel, the founder of the Sarah Lehman Law Group, Sarah Lehman. Hello, that's me. Uh, Sarah is a criminal defense lawyer and also happens to be the chief, the head, uh, supreme being at the firm where (laughs) I'm employed as an artifact student. Uh, So you have to say that. That's right. I'm essentially the dictator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And of course, uh, Ian Bushfield of the Candy Report and Politico. Welcome, Ian. It's great to be podcasting with you again. It's been a little while, actually. Yeah, we haven't done anything this year yet. No, so we should get on. We should get on this. But so, basically, what this podcast is going to do is talk about interesting issues in the law, in the news, and because we like them, uh, we are going to talk about some interesting liquors uh, today. Nothing is more dominant in the news than the SNC Lavalin controversy, and so today's episode is SNC Lavalin. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm so proud of myself for that. (laughs) (laughs) It's very exciting. Shall we break it out? Yeah, let's do it. So we have two different bottles of scotch today. And Matthew, I'm going to let you pronounce them because you are much better at pronouncing them than I am. But here's the first one. This is a eight-year-old Lagavulin. Beautiful. From the Isle of Islay. Okay, let's take it out of the... Nice peaty one. Yes. Beautiful box. Uh, and then this bottle, gorgeous. I like it. I think it looks very distinguished. The scotch almost looks like a white wine. It's it so does. Like clear. I think it's like green as a bottle. Yeah, I like it. Okay, tamper proof. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Beautiful sound. All right. Let's pour some out. So there's a, a bit of a dis- disagreement between people. Uh, on how you're supposed to taste scotch, and uh, I have always drank my scotch uh, neat with the water back or with neat. Uh, do you have any preferences? Like, basically, I have been told no ice that dispels the flavor. That's what I've heard. I did a little. It was a pretty tacky scotch tasting tour when I visited Edinburgh, but it was the scotch whiskey tasting experience where there was a ride in the middle, where you got to go on a little cart to see how whiskey is made. It's as absurd as it sounds, but at the middle of the tour, they give you a sample of scotch with your tour ticket, but we upgraded so that at the end of the tour, we could have four more samples to take to each of the, ma- each of the major regions. And in that, they... These are the regions in Scotland? Yeah, okay. the, yeah the major Scotch regions, the um, Speyside, Lowlands, Highlands, and Islay. So we're trying Islay, the Islay. strongest first. Nice. Uh, and I think they emphasize neat, you know, no water, nothing in there, just put the alcohol in your tongue. Yeah, wow. that's my understanding as well. So, I mean, I like to have a one ice cube, but today we'll go neat, room temperature. All right. So let's give it a shot. Cheers. It's nice. I would drink this again. Yeah. <laughs> I'll continue to drink it now. It is not as powerful as I was almost expecting. Like, it's almost more smooth than... I was 
you know, you think Isla, you think that very peaty, earthy flavor. Yeah, it smells very peaty and earthy, mm. but the taste is a lot smoother than I was expecting. It does have a little tang. Uh, like it, it's, a, it's a tang on... It ends fairly quickly, but it's not, like, overpowering. Um, yeah. It's nice. And this is this is the youngest uh, Lagavulin that is available in the GCL. Uh, and uh, so, theoretically, some of the older ones will have a bit more of a pronounced flavor. But we're gonna we're gonna continue sipping on our scotch for the next little while uh, and jump right into it. S N C Lavalin, what a mess! Yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> so Trudeau is in some deep trouble. Uh, what what do we think of this company? Like, it's you know other than the fact that like we can see it from the Spirits of the Law Studios right here. Uh, you can see the SNC Lavalin building at the Vancouver office. Yeah, the Vancouver office. It is a Quebec-based company mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. with a hilariously flagrant history of corruption. Uh, yes, very long and sordid. Some alleged, some proven. Yeah, <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah, they they're they're in some deep trouble right now. Um, they've had problems both here and abroad, and I think have in fact been banned from bidding on World Bank projects. And I think they got the longest ban that the World Bank has ever given. Which, yeah. if you're going to be number one. Yeah, may as well be number one there, too. Yeah. There you go. Well, they were facing, it was another 10-year ban if they were to be, I guess, prosecuted and convicted of what people were saying they were facing at this point. But it looks like they're not going to really face any kind of punishment this time around. Well, like this. I'm I'm really interested to see what what has been happening. So let's let's do a little background. Mm -hmm. um, the reason this is in the news is because the former federal justice minister Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, resigned from cabinet from her position as minister of veterans affairs, which she was demoted to mm -hmm. uh, in uh, January in the cabinet shuffle. Even though. Our fearless leader, Justin, mm -hmm. was adamant that it wasn't a demotion, but just merely a shuffle. And we've heard all kinds of reasons now, again, why he's justifying it. That don't really add up for me at all. But I think that we can all agree that going from the justice minister to Veterans Affairs, uh, that, that looks like... Justice, uh, Veterans Affairs and <laughs> Associate Minister of Defense. But I think, I think that kind of speaks to the fact that when you get Associate Minister in the title... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Looking like a demotion. Yeah, you're not attorney general anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard one indigenous leader, because Jody Wilson-Raybould is an indigenous woman, and I don't know if it was her father or someone else said, you know, the only portfolio that the government seems to care less about than veterans affairs is, in his words, Indian affairs. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a little cynical on government for many reasons, but they, yeah. I mean, there's the Democratic Reform Ministry, which still exists. Uh, <laughs> your careers go to die. Um, <laughs> so, basically, the, the allegation, the scuttlebutt, the, the rumor is that she was being pressured to uh, enact something called a deferred prosecution agreement. Mm -hmm. and, and, Sarah, can you give us a little bit of background on what a deferred prosecution 
Um, so this is something that Canada actually brought into effect fairly recently. Um, the U.S. and Britain have had deferred prosecution agreements for a very long time, relatively speaking. Um, I mean, it's just another tool really for prosecutors to use when they're trying to conduct investigations or considering pursuing charges against big companies. Um, basically, it's kind of like a, a plea deal in a way, uh, if you want to put it that simply. Um, so they will allow some people and sometimes even the entire corporation as a whole uh, amnesty, for lack of a better term, to avoid the risk of actually being convicted of a criminal offense in exchange for something. Really, that's all it is. And the motivation for this would be that Canada has rules now that convicted, corrupt companies can't bid on federal contracts. Right. And something like the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act uh, in the States or, or uh, basically, you're not allowed to do bribes overseas. <laughs> you shouldn't do bribes. If we're doing bribes, seems bad. And if you're going to do them, don't get caught doing them, I guess. <laughs> and then if you do get caught, lobby hard so that there's a way that you can flee. Yeah, or try to get a deferred prosecutions agreement. But the interesting thing about the deferred prosecutions agreement is that it actually shouldn't be up to the Attorney General. So it wouldn't have been up to Jody Craybolt Wilson to actually have you know signed off on that. It would be left to the prosecutors to decide. And if she had called the prosecutors and said, hey, listen, we're going to do this, the prosecutors, if they were doing things right, would have told, basically told her to bug off. Now, this is the DPP, right? This is the, the Director of Public Prosecutions. This is a, a relatively new agency that was set up uh, in Canada. We, we've had less kind of judicial independence, like not for prosecutorial independence mm -hmm. in the Justice Ministry compared to Australia, mm -hmm. uh, where both Sarah and I went to law school, mm -hmm. uh, where there has been a DPP for some time. Mm -hmm. So what, what is the role of the DPP in deciding to prosecute uh, either a company or an individual when they're found to have committed a crime, allegedly? Well, I mean, my understanding is that it would be up to them to decide whether to pursue that prosecution. And it would also be up to them to recommend things like a deferred prosecution agreement. At the end of the day, they would have to go to the Attorney General to ask them to sign off on it. Um, but they do have a great deal of independence in terms of deciding where to look and what to go after. So is the reason that the deferred prosecution agreement might not have been available to SNC-Lavalin because the statute is so recent? Like, the crimes were committed, allegedly, uh, in a period before the CPA was available to companies in Canada. And, and this is, I, I, at least my understanding, is one of the reasons why it ended up going to the Attorney General uh, because it would have required some ministerial discretion mm -hmm. to open it up. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could be one of the reasons. Um, I'm not sure, you know, how exactly that would work in terms of timing. Um, but we know that if you are going to get a deferred prosecution agreement, it has to be in the public interest. So at the end of the day, they would have to seek the consent of the Attorney General, and they also have to put it before a judge. So a judge does have to sign off on it, which is different than it is in the U.S. In the U.S., these kinds of things are agreed to in back rooms. But here, you know, in Canada, we do have to make sure that it is, again, in the public interest. And the way that we do that is to put it in front of a judge to ensure that it is. So, so and this is, this is an interesting thing, maybe about the, the Office of the Attorney General. Um, 
only the Attorney General, who's the Chief Law Officer of Canada, but he's also the Justice Minister, which is a political role, but mm -hmm. responsible for deciding on policy. Uh, do you think that those roles can like come into conflict ever, or um, like how 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 do those two Hi. responsibilities, <laughs> yeah, enhance sit on yeah. the same head comfortably? I mean, in England, we see that they are separate roles. They appoint someone, as far as I understand, far less partisan as Attorney General, and then they have a Minister of Justice. Of course, England also has barristers and solicitors as two separate human beings, and here we <laughs> just merge them all into a mega Sarah Lehman. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a sort of issue where, you know, that administration of justice and governance of justice are very separate jobs. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that they should be separate jobs. Uh, it's kind of uncomfortable to have a partisan person who's performing those two roles. It almost kind of breaks my, my brain when considering this in a Canadian context because the, the like, Canadian parliamentary system is so partisan. It's like one of the most partisan and one of the most whipped in the, the entire world. Mm -hmm. there's, there's none of this like, ooh, which way is uh, someone going to vote from the party that they're going to vote against the government because it's just so rare. MPs vote with the party over 99% of the time, mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, it's bizarre. Uh, and so it, it seems like there would have to be some kind of removal of that kind of administration of justice role from the partisan hubbub of you know the Canadian conventional system. I mean, there's nothing, as far as I understand it, in the Constitution that prevents the Prime Minister from appointing whoever he or she wants to cabinet, and in the past, senators have been appointed, and maybe you appoint random lawyer by lot to be your Attorney General, but <laughs> I don't know if that's a better or worse system. I mean, we have what we have. Yeah. Well, they would be responsible for the prosecution of people who commit crimes, people for example, like the former SNC-Lavalin CEO, Pierre Duquesne, who was uh, recently convicted, he pled guilty to a charge of helping a public servant commit a breach of trust for his role in a bribery scandal linked to the construction of a completely different scandal, a $1.3 billion Montreal hospital. Not to be confused, of course, with the SNC-Lavalin scandal, but linked to a Saskatchewan hospital or the Libya thing. <laughs> or I think there's a McGill thing, too. Or there's the yeah. political donations thing. And oh, Madagascar. Yeah. yeah, it's... There's a lot of things. And I'm looking at the picture here of Mr. Duhame that's in the CBC. It's an article from February 8th of 2019 of him leaving a Montreal courtroom on February 1st. And I mean, this guy just looks like someone who got away with something. <laughs> right? <laughs> look at the yeah. look on his face. He looks very proud of himself. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want that to be the picture that um, the news caught of my client leaving the courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, the kind of service that you can expect at the yeah. Sarah <laughs> God. Well, so SNC-Lavalin has this murky past. Uh, you know, Mr. Duhame is not the only uh, executive that has resigned uh, in disgrace or, uh, you know, amidst a cloud of scandal. Uh, 
Ryder Van Eyster was also uh, and Stefan Royce were also uh, resolutions related to uh, other SNC level and misdeeds. And, and this is interesting because, like, I asked an engineering friend of mine what they thought of SNC Lavalin, uh, which is like a giant of, of Canadian corporate world. Uh, you know, there's only a certain number of companies that have names on buildings in, in the city, and SNC Lavalin is one of them, and it's a nice building. Uh, and, like, he said, wow, it's, you know, I, I really would love to work for them. They, they seem like they treat their engineers really well, and <laughs> my heart is like, but yeah. Yeah, I mean they employ a lot of people. There's, you know, thousands of people employed in Canada and then outside of Canada, I think there's maybe even more. There's a lot of people. When you look at any major construction project in Canada, their name will always be somewhat associated with it, at least in an attempt to bid. The three companies that want to build the new Patello Bridge mm -hmm. just came out and SMC Lavalin's names are attached to one of the bids. Just naturally. I mean, they built the Evergreen Line. They built a lot of things. Mm -hmm. and it's not like they necessarily built things bad. It's just there's questions and this cloud around some of their work in some of their areas. And, and that corruption or alleged corruption mm -hmm. has historically been tied to, breaks my heart, Federal Liberal Party of Canada. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, where, and, and not to say that they haven't been really conservative because they have been really conservative. Uh, but a fraction of the amount. A yeah. fraction. It's like a drop in the pool. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is because they are like headquartered in Quebec and are a big, you know, even more than in Vancouver or the rest of Canada, uh, a big factor and a big player uh, in the Quebec economy, uh, much like, for example, Bombardier, which gets caught up in these kinds of nonsense allegations. Uh, not nonsense allegations. This kind of But this company seems to really have deep roots all over the place. Like, uh, this whole Libya scandal is crazy, so, too. So why don't, we, why don't we dive into it? Like, what, what stands out for you about the Libya scandal? Well, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just very nice and naive, but I don't know what the heck we have, you know, in terms of an interest in, in trying to smuggle, you know, the former Libyan leader, Muammar Gaddafi, out of a country along with their family members, and why is SNC a part of that? Like, it's just, it seems, it's beyond anything that I can comprehend. Like, there's some things that you're like, I don't know if that's corrupt or bad, and then there's like, at the height of the Libyan Civil War, yeah. a company being in directly involved with, like, the dictator himself. Like, what is that? It's bad, is what it's it bad. is. We yeah. know it's bad. It's we like, don't know why you know, or the, what. The old Mitchell and Webb sketch of, you know, are we the baddies? Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to start asking yourself that. Here, I think so. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so, uh, what we're referring to specifically is uh, Cindy Banning, a consultant who was hired by SNC Lavalin to smuggle out the children of Muammar Gaddafi uh, into Mexico from Libya at the height of the Civil War. She was never charged in Canada, but she did spend 18 months in a Mexican jail, mm. uh, which must have been great. Well, I mean, I think that could either be really fun or not fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they're tied to, to all these things. They're, you know, corrupting the governments of 
the, the Global Transparency Index. Uh, and it all gets a little overwhelming, and so I think I need a drink. Okay. Well, then, can we get into the second bottle here? Yeah. Okay. So, again, Matthew, you're going to have to pronounce this one for everybody. So, I have been pronouncing it uh, wrong. I, it's, it's apparently <laughs> Lefroig. Uh, Ooh, I can say that. Lefroig. That's yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Uh, How were you pronouncing it? Lefroig. It was, uh. it was very fancy earlier today, <laughs> the point where I was like, I can't say that. <laughs> so, this is the 10-year, and I'm not sure how you can get into it. So I think I it's I, just a full cup. Oh, it's just a, okay, here you go. Ian, it's, it's up to you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> oh, there we are. There we go. All right, let's look at this bottle. Oh, it's also a green bottle. It's also green. It's much more modern looking, I think. Uh, it comes with a passport to Isla. They don't but just, it's cute. I guess Definitely that's, you cute. can win a free trip to the distillery, it says on the paper. Oh, that would be nice. Okay, so here it is. I like this bottle, I think, better than the first bottle, just in terms of appearance and aesthetics only. Kind of like a tall, stubby bottle of beer. Like those yeah, but it's just, like, the design is very class. clean. Yeah. It's very clean. I, I, like, I kind of like the busy design of the Lagavulin bottle, actually. I And also they use, like, a Yeah, you this know, one is. Ooh. This one's much greener. Ooh. The color of that is really nice. It is. It's of very, very whiskey. amber. Okay. So there we are. Right. Almost so golden, like honey. One of the things that you're apparently supposed to do is swirl it in the glass and see how long the, the trails, the, the legs, trails are, the legs. Yeah. So apparently, older scotches will take longer to down the side of the glass. Hmm. Okay. Well, cheers. Cheers. This one's much more aggressive for me, I feel. The taste Ooh. is actually smoother, I thought. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have that same kind of tang, but it's way yeah. more it's way more like being there's the dirt, yeah. It's the after. Yeah, yeah into a fog. Like yeah. It's like slowly sinking into the Scottish earth. But not in a terrifying way. <laughs> no. In a like warm hug of yeah. suffocation. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't smell quite as peaty. Hmm. I don't think. No, it smells almost there's like it's like a floral hospital. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Actually, I did read um, that uh, Lagvulin, I know I'm not saying that right, uh, has an undertone taste of Band-Aids. That was something oh. that was written on the internet, was that one of the notes are Band-Aids. So I'm not surprised that you would say hospital. Yeah, the, the thing that, like, I, I, I was reading tasting notes for, for these, and the thing that kept cropping up was tar, and I'm like, who is tasting all this tar? Tar. Don't taste tar. No. It's bad for you. It's also, don't taste band-aids. No. <laughs> no, it seems like a bad idea okay. as well. Yeah. But I, but it is kind of. I do see where the band-aid reference comes from a little mm. bit. Although I wouldn't come up with that on my own. Yeah. So. <laughs> but 
maybe we should pause though for a moment um, to talk a little bit about the legal battle between these two distilleries. Yeah, so we get we get that. It's an interesting little side note because there is a, a fascinating legal story between uh, Lafroy and Lagavulin. Um, why don't you give us the backstory? Oh, I I actually don't really know the backstory quite as much. I just know that there was something to do with a turf war. I don't know. Is that all right? Well. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna quote directly from the article. Uh, there was an ownership uh, in the 19th century. Several legal battles ensued with a neighbor. So both of these are, by the way, from the same island of Pile. Pronouncing that right? Mm-hmm. I believe so. All right. Uh, with the neighbor Lefroy, uh, brought about after the distiller at Lagavulin, Sir Peter Mackey leased the Lefroy Distillery. It said that. Mac- uh, Mackey, it said that Mackey attempted to copy Lefroy's style, and I don't really, I don't really take that now, but this no. is a like hundred years ago. Uh, since the water and peat at Lagavulin premises was different from that at Lefroy, the result was different. So, so wait, he was copying his style of making Scotch, which is put, you know, drain in, drain in water, keep, distill, repeat. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, actually, no. Like I, I think we're close. Yeah. There, there are, uh, there are significant changes that you can do. Uh, Chivas, for example, has a scotch that is, uh, they're producing uh, in tequila bottles, like not tequila mm. bottles, tequila barrels. Right. Okay. Uh, and so the barrel, the type of oak in the barrel, the type of wood in the barrel, uh, changes significantly. Whether the barrel is charred. Uh, also yeah. will will change the taste of the scotch. It'll mm-hmm. bring out different mm-hmm. flavors. Uh, also, the aging process. Um, when it says eight years on the, the bottle, uh, it's eight years in the barrel. That's yeah. right. Uh, as opposed to eight years, you know, we bottled it and then left it in the cellar. Yeah. That's right. Um, and so, you know, it, it would be interesting to know how much of the the process is uh, yeah, like protected by intellectual property. Because mm-hmm. my understanding, and this is like completely unrelated to uh, specifics, but in Europe, the, chem- the way of patenting a chemical, you can't actually protect the chemical structure, but you can protect the process for making a, a chemical. And this was like a big issue in the uh, original days of salsa drugs. So they wanted to be uh, you know, specific enough that they could still protect their intellectual property, but not so specific that it would be possible to completely reproduce it and then reverse engineer the process so that mm. they can come up with a different process mm-hmm. for competing it. Anyway, these two have been fighting for a hundred years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which they, I love. I love that. That's that's very Scottish of them. I was also going to say, know? that's a lot of work for lawyers. So. It's a lot of work for lawyers. And I just appreciate the pettiness of it. I kind of love it. Yeah. You know, like the drama. So, I don't know. That just appeals to me. <laughs> it, it's interesting. Like, if they are the same, and, like, I, I can't speak to these particular uh, versions, you know, that are coming out over a century later, but uh, if they are the same, the, the fact that the water, the spring water that's being used and the peat that's being used, like, uh, what is... In the Scotch process, uh, the grain, the malt, is exposed to peat smoke uh, mm-hmm. for a certain amount of 
They do. Yeah. I agree. And I don't know which one I like more. I mean, I think that the Laphroaig is easier to drink, but I like the peaty quality with the Lagavulin as well. Yeah, I I like that kind of strong attack on the Lagavulin. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think people actually deserve a little bit of a, a reference into like how we're judging these. So, do you have a favorite whiskey already? Yeah, I actually love whiskey and scotch. It's, I think it's my favorite of the alcohols to drink, which is saying something because I don't think I've met one that I don't like. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite personally is Nika, which is a Japanese whiskey. And there's a couple of different versions of it, but I just like the Nika in the barrel, which is the most basic. Um, I love the Japanese, you know, side note. Um, I love what they do. Everything's very clean and mm. fresh and... Nika is no different. Are you a Mary Kondo fan? Uh, yes, okay. a little bit. Of <laughs> course. I love, like, does it spark joy? No, then get rid of it. That's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've been to Japan a few times, and I just really like Japanese culture, and I mm. like the influence, and I feel like they took scotch, and they did it, and they made it their own, and it's nice, it's clean, it's fresh, it's delicious. Nika in the barrel. <laughs> I mean, for me... I never really have a favorite of anything. I'm always like, what am I in the mood for? What is it that kind of day? If it's music, it's like, is it an upbeat day? Am I going to listen to really tacky 80s pop? Or am I going <laughs> to like go to 90s grunge? Or where am I going to go? And I think it's the same with alcohol. Some nights, you know, it's a wine night. Some nights it's like, it's a beer. And even there, you have a wide variety. Mm -hmm. And with scotch, I like things that know what they are, I guess. I mean, I like a lot of the Islays, but I also like the smoother ones and the Speysides and the Lowlands. And I don't. I guess I just don't drink enough scotch to fully appreciate it, but yeah, some days you do want this nice Islay, and I think it feels like an Islay day. goes yeah. with the winter. It does, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. It's the rare snow in Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> for those who can't <laughs> see. So it's, like, it's getting grosser because it's... It rained on the snow. It rained on the snow, and so, like, I've worn shoes that, like, these are my leaning shoes. Like, they're, <laughs> they're for walking around in the vertical puddles that have been established all yeah. over downtown and my alley where I got stuck this morning. <laughs> it's, it's bad out there. But it's nice in here, and we have two very nice bottles of scotch, so very nice. there you go. Well, my favorite, my favorite whiskey uh, in general is Centennial, which is a, a Southern Alberta whiskey. Uh, you and I are good Southern Alberta boys. Yeah. Uh, oh, Northern Alberta doesn't get any love? Come on. I'm from Fort McMurray. Oh, <laughs> I lived in Edmonton for a few years and did a little stint in Fort McMurray teaching science camp, actually. Well, there you it's go. A lovely little city. So, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, nice it is. we're all Albertans living in BC. So, what yeah. does that say? Refugees. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <Albertans>. <laughs> But Matthew's keeping his Alberta roots stronger, apparently, in a scotch. Yeah, well, not scotch, but let's say whiskey. Whiskey, yeah. Whiskey with an E, I think. Mm -hmm. Or without the E. I've never figured out this. I believe it's with a wee. It, with an E. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not with a wee. With a wee. With a wee E. With a wee bit of E. There we are. <laughs> we say second bottle, but we've had like one glass of E. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I like Centennial. Uh, Centennial is like a very Canadian tasting whiskey. It's sweet, it's smooth, and like I also like Scotch, and, and certainly I'm I'm of the same mind as you, Ian. Uh, I, it has to be something that I'm in the mood for, uh, and uh, Scotch is very much for me a special occasion drink, and so I'm 
come here today. Uh, and like Centennial for me is just like nice. It's very mixable. It's very good for any liquor cabinet because uh, it, it's like good as a like it's good as a well drink because it can be mixed with anything and not be like completely overwhelmed. Uh, possibly with an article this whiskey should be overwhelmed with ginger ale this holiday season. Alberta <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> I am familiar with that. Centennial, however, I don't think I've had the pleasure. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's very nice. It's just, it's, it's just like able to be drank neat, uh, and it's you know it's it's very Canadian though in its in its taste, and it doesn't have any of that kind of like aggressive tea or tangy nature to it. In general, though, like as an alcohol, is.
whole other topic. Yeah. Yeah. For another day. Uh, but in terms of caucus, I mean, people leaving cabinet but staying in caucus is pretty common, and it's still a reason, not everyday occurrence, but it's more common than totally leaving caucus entirely and tearing up and burning your, you know, party cards. <laughs> what we might see is her decide not to run again. And I think that's the next question for her political career is, does she seek the liberal nomination in Vancouver Granville for another term? Or does she give up on federal politics? Or does she leave the party? Because it seems weird to go from justice minister to backbench MP. Absolutely. I don't know if either of you saw the um, little clip that was uh, going around on the internet. I actually shared it on my Twitter account. And it was of Jody Wilson-Raybould's father in 1983 talking to um, Senior Trudeau. And I'm not sure in what context it was, but it was a very short clip, about 30 seconds, where he refers to his daughter and says, you know, I have a daughter on Vancouver Island who wants to be a lawyer. Lord knows why, right? <laughs> it was our lawyer joke. <laughs> but, you know, she also wants to be prime minister. And he was referring to... Jody Wilson-Raybould. So, I mean, that's really interesting. I thought it was a very cool moment to see mm. that, you know, their two fathers coming face-to-face -face and, and that kind of, you know, foreshadowing. I think I saw that in a more positive context during the last campaign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now it's kind of doom and gloom, but yeah. but it's also really interesting to think about how she's going to reposition herself, maybe, mm. or is she going to leave altogether? I hope well, not. Well, I, I, I actually think that you're you're missing a uh, the next step for her because like the next step is what is she gonna say? Mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. she has she has been bound by cavity confidentiality and that's something mm -hmm. that hasn't been talked about as much as the solicitor client mm -hmm. privilege mm -hmm. that uh, she holds between the government of Canada and the Crown uh, as the Attorney General. So like the Attorney General is the government's lawyer and mm -hmm. so they are bound by, by privilege. Uh, there's also something called cabinet confidentiality, which it also has legal backing mm -hmm. um, and is a bedrock of the Westminster system. Mm -hmm. And so I am a little horrified at the prospect that it might be broken, but she has retained uh, one Thomas Cromwell QC. <laughs> I think he has probably more letters than that. Yeah. Being a former <laughs> Supreme Court of Canada justice. QC, CC, yeah, he's a companion of the Order of Canada, too, so. Uh, he's got a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, he's JD as well. <laughs> you, you, that's kind of implied by all the others. Probably. Actually, yeah, for him, it'd probably be an LLP. He did law school in Canada, like, back in the, yeah. back in the day. I'm not but sure. you can convert it now you if you do the appropriate it. paperwork, and I feel like he has enough people on staff to do that. The point is he's <laughs> a smart, accomplished lawyer. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone can, I guess, hazard an opinion about what's going to happen down the road, but I think only time is going to tell here. So do you, do you think that the political fallout is going to be bigger than like what we're seeing right now? Like certainly the there has been a House Ethics Committee led by Anthony Hart's father, mm -hmm. Robert MP, mm -hmm. uh, and they've drawn a fairly narrow terms of reference mm -hmm. around uh, the inquiry and the, the, the people that they're going to call as 
I mean, it's the standard partisan move. You have a committee that is a majority liberal committee, like almost all of them have been, because that's their right as majority government. They're going to protect their own and find a way to draw the terms so as not to cause additional damage. I don't know what we'll learn from that. I know the ethics commissioner is also sort of considering snooping around into this whole affair and whether that might be a more fruitful endeavor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is always problematic when you have partisan members investigating members of their own party. I mean, it just doesn't work that well. But I do think that the Justice Committee um, has, you know, hopefully good intentions in terms of looking into this issue. And we know that they've expressed that. I think there's a few MPs that have come forward and said, you know, we do really want to do uh, an investigation into this and to, you know, do an inquiry and figure out what's going on. But at the end of the day, will it be enough? Will it satisfy Canadians? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I think I think that's the, the biggest thing is that like trying to limit the fallout rather than just throwing open the doors and saying, you know, I, from from what I have heard is is the prime minister is to be believed. Mm -hmm. He exerted as much political pressure as he could without stepping over the line into the like undue influence side of of like pressuring the attorney general to to do things. Uh, outside the, the scope of what would be appropriate or, you know, reasonable. Mm -hmm. Although just today I did see a uh, news story uh, where Trudeau said that it was actually Jody Wilson-Raybould who came to him and said, you know, are you going to give me a direction about this case? Are you going to tell me what to do? And he told her, no, that's only within your jurisdiction. So is that to be believed? I mean, I think that every single day I'm waking up to a different story from Justin <laughs> about what happened. Well, that reminds me of the stories that we're hearing out of the BC legislature between like the speaker versus the clerk and the now dismissed clerk and sergeant at arms, where Speaker Dale Plekis is talking about how, you know, he was new to this job and he was seeing all of these misappropriation of funding and spending all over the place. And the alternative story that they've now put out is. No, actually, he was super eager to come on all these fancy trips, and it was him who was saying we should buy cufflinks and mm -hmm. all of this other stuff. And you're like, it's a he said, she said, or he said, she said. And yeah. These kind of situations. And oh, Ian, stop splitting hairs. Or <laughs> logs. That log splitter was like the most hilarious. Oh, the seen. log splitter. Why, why would you buy something like that on the government? Like, that's. It's just like there is something sort of beyond the pale. Mm -hmm. It's very clear that if there's a disaster and an earthquake and all the power goes out <laughs> downtown Victoria, they will need to... The clerk that, of the house it's, to the it's, rescue. It's not a matter of cutting the trees up because you need a chainsaw for that. And they did actually buy chainsaws. Oh, thank God. Yes, right? <laughs> uh, but you might need to split those old trees into firewood, oh, which yeah, no one has realized wood. you need to let dry before you can burn. Well... Uh, but we're ready. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> honor, be prepared. The, the legislature can provide some hot air. So. <laughs> but I mean, we're all. I think that I. I mean, I'm a Liberal Party member. I know as you are as well, yeah. Matthew. I'm. I've always been a Liberal um, Party support.
Yeah, I think that I joined the Federal Liberal Party when I was in grade nine or 10. So, I mean, I've been around for, I'm not going to say how long, but long. And I've always voted for them. And I, you know, I'm a little worried about what's going on right now. Well, the biggest undoing of the Federal Liberals has always been this sort of cronyism. The like, yeah. too close to Bay Street, too close to wealthy friends or donors. Mm-hmm. And Kretchen's biggest thing I'll give him credit for is on his way out was kind of kneecapping his own party by taking out that corporate and union donation because mm-hmm. it was right for the country mm-hmm. even if it was really bad for his party right. in the long run. Now it turns out some of his some of their friends like FNC found creative ways to still give money mm-hmm. which they later got in trouble for this, mm-hmm. which we've talked about but what all I'm trying to get at is this plays into that narrative that the liberals as a Party tend to be too close to corporate interests mm-hmm. and not close enough to the grassroots. I think Trudeau actually ran a good campaign connecting to or making a message about I want to reach out to the grassroots. And it's honestly fru- most frustrating to me that this is like, this feels like it should be a second or third term controversy scandal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, okay, so. I saw you pent up there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just remembering. Uh, me joining the Federal Liberal Party, I joined in the like lead up to the 2003 leadership convention uh, because that was like an exciting time to be a liberal. I'm gonna pick a new prime minister, and I didn't like go to the convention <laughs> or anything or even get to vote in it. But like, I I bought my membership, and my membership arrived in the mail, and then six days later, the sponsorship scandal broke. Oh. <laughs> every year since. <laughs> uh, but yeah it feels way more like that kind of liberal party like this just feels like old bad memories blowing yeah. up from high school and I don't I don't want that again like that's gross no um, it's bad it's a bad time to be a liberal right now I mean my conservative friends from Alberta are razzing me about being a liberal and I'm kind of just sitting there being like yeah <laughs> you know I don't have much to say back and it's not like, I mean, FNC wasn't close to the Conservative Party, but it's not like other co- companies aren't close to the Conservatives. Of course. And they have their thing. I mean, I wear the orange card, so <laughs> I, can, I can be holier than now all day because we never have power except provincially. But <laughs> and that's the problem with power. It always corrupts. Yeah. Uh, just as absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And so what can we do except drink forget. Uh, <laughs> should we pour another round? I Which think we should pour another round. And so why don't we actually pick our favorite? Pick our favorite. There we go. You read my mind, Matthew. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, who's going to start out? Ian, how about you do it? Sure. You were on the fence before about your favorite bottle. Yeah. Well, like I said, each bottle always depends on my mood at the time. Tonight I found them both. They're both good bottles. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if now my thinking is affected by you telling me the price of the bottles. Of course. <laughs> Not between the two, but just like their overall score naturally yeah. goes up. Yeah. Because you're like, a good bottle, yeah. like, an expensive bottle, or a pricier bottle has to be better. Has to be better. Yeah. Uh, but of these two, I think the Lafroy takes it for me well. in the end. It's well. just so smooth and... And it's the cheaper of the two bottles. Yeah. 
Here you go. What does that say about you? I'm not sure. But here we go. We'll pour you another one. Sure. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us tonight.